Hello and welcome to Word for the Day. This is Father Pete Matthews from St. Patrick's Anglican Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And today's Word for the Day um, is a continuation of our journey in Genesis 1-3. through And today, uh, before we again get into the details of the text, I want to talk about genre. So genre is a word that defines type of literature. So like poetry is a genre or historical narrative is a genre. And so say someone's writing a history and someone's writing a poem, they follow different rules for how they write. And people know these rules generally. A lot of them are pretty intuitive. So you read a piece of history, you know it's trying to set forth facts as best as they can um, and be pretty straightforward and literal in its description of what's going on. Poetry, on the other hand, is going to be full of metaphor, full of imagery. And so, um, you know, and, 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 and say things in um, sometimes um, exaggerated or very creative ways. In the Old Testament, we have the book of Psalms, which is all poetry. And for example, it says things like the right hand of the Lord will save. Well, God doesn't have hands. So, you know, that's a poem and that's the genre of that literature. And as we read that in the Psalms, we recognize that. And so we don't say, well, the word of God says God has a hand. So if someone said God doesn't have a hand, they just don't believe in the word of God. We don't do that because we know the genre. Now, the challenge of Genesis 1 and 2 is what is the genre? And it's a tricky question, but if you trace sort of the history of interpretation um, down through Christian history, there have been some who have wanted to maintain these chapters are as literal as maybe the record of the Battle of Waterloo. And so everything is taken in a pure literal sense that any understanding that there might be imagery or creative, um, creative ideas put in there. On the opposite extreme where people want to go, look, look at this. Come on, snakes talking. This is myth, man. We can just sort of draw some principles. This is like a lesson about, you know, how human beings are. It's just purely poetic, purely pure myth. But I think the mainstream of Christianity, and, and many scholars would say, it, it kind of lives somewhere in the middle. And uh, a phrase I use that I hold to that um, um, I learned from a Christian philosopher and theologian, William Lane Craig, is to call it mytho-history. How do you like that? It's a combination of both. It's mytho-history. So here's what I mean. I think the story of Genesis sets up the rest of the scripture, and it's often referred back to. And there are parts of the story that are referred back to um, in the sense that they are things that happen in history. And they really make no sense of the biblical story if they did not happen in history. Um, I think that the clearest example is Genesis 3 is not a description of the nature of humans. Because if it is, then we are by nature created by God with evil in us. However, God is not evil. He cannot do evil. He cannot create evil. It's outside of his being. So if we are created in the image of God, we can't by nature be evil. So theologically, that way of reading the text just does not work. Um, so, so I think, as, as for example, St. Paul emphasizes in Romans 5, this is a record of something that happened in the primordial past. Maybe 
50,000, 100,000, 200,000 years ago. We don't know. But it's a record of something that happened where there was a point in the human experience when humanity, and, and especially the first humans, were in relationship with God, and that was lost. And we're all, we are all born into that lost reality. And that's why Jesus has to come and bring redemption. But I don't think that means when we read the story of Genesis 3 and the fruit and the snake that talks, that we have to go, that that is a videotape of something that literally happened. And it really might be some symbolic imagery to capture some truths in a way that are that are also more more powerful than if we said it literally. So so maybe the details of that conversation looked a little bit different. Maybe not. Maybe we'll get to heaven and find out that's exactly how it happened. And if you believe that, that's okay. Don't let me undermine your faith. But but my view is that some of those things can be understood in creative, kind of more poetic ways. Maybe poetic history is a better way. Maybe in fact, I'm gonna go with that. So I can change my mind in the middle of the episode, can I? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Let's call it poetic history. I like that better. There's some poetic expression here and some literal expression, and it's kind of mixed together, and we have to sort it out. But my conviction is this is the Word of God. This is truthful. This is not in error. And the theological truths that God wants to reveal through this story are eternal and absolute and set the stage for the whole Bible. And we need to get these right to live our life correctly and to live the true story of the world. So as we move forward, remember, I'm going to operate with an assumption that this is um, poetic history. And as we read through these verses, that'll help you understand how I interpret them. Okay, God bless and have a great day.